Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Dating Over 30 Sucks. We have libations and conversations about situations, and this episode is a long time coming, but I'm so excited because I have Dr. Bass here with me, who is the Southern sexologist. I know some people have seen me post about it on Instagram because I I knew going into season two, I was like, I want to branch out. It's not just going to be friends. I want experts. And who better else? When I thought of experts, when it comes to relationships and dating and the craziness of like sex and, and all the crazy stuff that we deal with, I said, I got to get Dr. Bass. Like, I just have to. And when I started putting it out there, a lot of people, when I posted it, were like, oh. You got Dr. Bass? Okay, this is a question I want to ask. So outside of the fact that I have a lot of questions, how are you doing today? And thank you for being here. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, it's not that hot today. It's not yes. raining. So I am actually doing amazing. And I'm so proud of you and happy to be here today. Thank you so much. And so I one question I always ask all of my guests, do you remember how we met? And how I, how I started to just obsessively <laughs> always be around. I guess it was an organizational meeting. I mean, I don't know if I can say the organization. Can I? Or yeah, you can say, yeah. It was a peer education um, project safe at mm -hmm. um, NCCU. But I don't remember. Like, I, I think it was just a, a business meeting, like a 1040 meeting. Oh. I had started working there full time, I think. I just started working there full time. Yeah. I, and I think we came in, it might've been my sophomore year. It was like, mm -hmm. we, it was like the, it was the first organization I joined. I took health class and they said, Hey, we have this club you can join. And I was like, all right, if I can get my community service hours in like a semester or a year, I'm going to do it. And I never left. <laughs> I, me, Ahmed and Kayla, we joined and we never left. We just stayed forever. And I was your work study student. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I was a great work study student, but I showed up. You, you, you were there. No, <laughs> no, that Kayla and I just we showed up. But I, you know, you were so instrumental for me because you were just a great mentor. You were so relatable, but at the same time, you know, so well respected and. You were the first person that told me to go sit and talk to a counselor and get some therapy. <laughs> you like literally made me and Kayla do it and <laughs> could could not have thanked you more. And and you actually went to Central with my cousin. Like one of my cousins was there. I remember you told me that because I remember thinking like one of the things I loved about you was your energy. And I remember just y'all kept me feeling like young and I would forget sometimes. I'm like, wait a minute, I'm not a student, but y'all were cool to hang with. I have yes. to say. And then I, when you said that, I was like, yeah, I got to remember there's a huge difference in this age, <laughs> but y'all are still cool. Yes. And, and like I said, just there's so much knowledge and a wealth of knowledge that you have, but most importantly, the safe space you provided for us to have these type of conversations, you know, I think 
one of the reasons why I've always been so open with partners that I've been with sexually, um, with anyone when it comes to that and not shying away from those tough conversations was because of you, because we made it normal to have conversations about sex, but safe sex. That was, that was the biggest thing was, you know, teaching students how to wear condoms, you know, and, and making the, un the uncomfortable conversations comfortable and, um, even now as I'm older, I have those conversations and people are like, Ooh, oh. and I'm like, I've been doing this since I was 18 y'all. Like <laughs> I walked around campus with a box of condoms often. <laughs> so, yeah, that's like, right. I'm like, that, that was just how we rolled. So I really appreciate it. And so I'll jump right in because I had a lot, um, a lot of my guests for season two were not only just excited, but they had some really good questions. And so I'm just going to start off with the first one. Can you actually tell us a little bit about your background and your expertise in and why you are the Southern sexologist? Absolutely. So I have to first and foremost start off by acknowledging my mother and my grandmother, who were my first teachers in all things, including um, being feminine, being a Black woman, and sexuality, whether good, bad, or different, they were my first teachers. But of course, attending the North Carolina Central University, I studied public health. And um, I actually started my career, like, this is really dating me, but like pre the real internet, like we had something <laughs> like the internet. But I started at a hotline. Think girl six, but not really, because people thought it was like girl six, but it wasn't. But it was okay. a hotline. Yeah. And it was actually, it's the actually the oldest sexuality organization in the U.S., the American Sexual Health Association, right down the street on Austin Avenue, still there, oh, um, wow. used to get federal dollars to answer questions on a hotline. And we had a, an STD hotline where people would call in and ask about um, STDs. And then we had an HIV hotline and people could call and ask about HIV and AIDS. And of course they merged them. But that's how I started my career. I got my degree. I started out on the hotline. I started working at local health departments. And I think the most pivotal moment was when I was working at Duke University prior to coming to NCCU full time, um, was working with persons living with HIV. And I knew like the scientific stuff and the prevention stuff, but it wasn't until I want to say 2001 that I really started thinking about the whole part of like, there's a reason why people don't use condoms. There's a reason why people don't tell people they have a STD. There's a reason why uh, folks uh, like to smell or lick people's underarms. Like everybody has some things, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have some stuff with us that a lot of us don't understand. And from a prevention standpoint, we never really talked about it. It was like use condom, use lube, limit your sex partners, get tested. Yeah. I started really looking at the um, sexual beingness of like how did my mom influence what I think about sex and how did, if she held me when I was little or didn't hold me when I was little makes me crave to be held or not be held. So um, just really doing that. And then fast forwarding um, because of that uh, interest and wanting to learn more, I later went back to school to get my doctorate in human sexuality. So I had a lot of career movement in there and experience personally and professionally. But then um, I think now I'm landing on really using my doctorate degree in human sexuality to help push me further in, in this work. Wow. That's, it's so interesting. You said the hotline. Cause I'm like, that used to really be a thing. 
<laughs> you had people and talk to them. Yes, like you had date hotlines, and and I remember there was like a teen hotline when I was in school. And then it's like you're right. I guess that would have been it. Everything was a hot, there was a you know like a suicide prevention hotline. It really was like you had to call and you were talking to people who were I guess at their home or you know wherever. But I mean, we went from the yellow pages that hardly nobody knows about. Oh, to God. having hotlines, to then we started having tech services, and then we went to full on. Now we have Google, social media, all yeah. different apps. So you know those things have evolved in a good way, and sometimes not so great. Yeah, no, that that's so true, and I think that was for me being a part of the organization because, like I said, I was I was in a public health student i literally joined because i needed community service <laughs> to graduate it's a great, way, great way to get those yes it's still a great way but i was like if this is what i got to do knock this out bam i could do something else and i think it was just such a the environment was great but like you said it wasn't just we're gonna go out we're gonna tell like students to not have sex and just use condoms and like you said limited it was it was interactive and it was a lot of it was understanding what's behind it and making that a comfortable conversation. And I will say as a student, sometimes it was weird because people would ask me questions that I'm like, Oh no, 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 no. I, I, I don't, I don't know what that looks like. I, <laughs> I do on a poster, but you might need to go across the street. The student knows. Like, that is, no, no, no. We're just trained to I teach. play a doctor on TV. I am not a real doctor. I'm not a real doctor. <laughs> so what, what I'll, I'll start with one of the first questions um, that I had from, um, from one person. And they said, when it comes to couples who are seeking help, when it comes to having those type of conversations, but even sex therapy or sexual health therapy, when do you begin to have those conversations? Listen, I think couples need to have those conversations. Like we tell kids, like learning about sex ed early and often, couples need to do that early and often. Um, oh. There are a lot of inventories out there. There are, you know, like when I say early and often, I'm thinking about like, we don't always sit down. And I'll be honest, early in my relationship, I didn't sit down and be like, well, hey, do you like, well, there were a couple of things, but I would say, hey, do you like to do this? Or would you be into this? Or uh, maybe there's a challenge in that area. And I, I wasn't always vocal to say, you know, this is problematic in our relationship. And I think we have the tools now where people can come in and use these assessments, ask each other questions and really start diving in and then seek help. And it does sometimes mm. seem strange to ask someone, you know, you mentioned sex therapy, because we have therapists in general. Mm -hmm. but my colleagues, who I'm proud, I got to give a shout out to the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, of which I'm the vice president of the membership this year. Okay, whoop, whoop. And, um, but they are trained not only in therapy, but specifically related to relationships. There's like the Gottman principle and way, and um, they're also trained in handling like sexual trauma, sex, you know, mm. quiz or all these different things. So there, you know, you can get good therapy, but sometimes you need a therapist who's really aligned and attuned to your sexual needs and your relationship needs. Yes. Um, so I think, I wouldn't say, oh, go out and get a therapist right away. But I think you start having conversations and assessing one another as early as possible, you know? Oh, wow. Really? 
Yeah, I don't, maybe not the first date, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I feel like you know, I hear people say we've been talking for a minute, so I'll give it, I'll say in a minute, about 30 days, at least a month into it, you kind of know if you're vibing with somebody, you want to continue it, even if it's not just long term, but you kind of know you're going to still want to kick it with them, and so that's when you can start having those conversations, but it's never too soon. I just don't want to say like day one, day, yeah. So that's actually really interesting to know because. When I think when it comes to relationships, specifically now over 30, right? Like that was the whole premise of this podcast, which was things change when you're 30. Your body changes <laughs> when you're 30. And I feel like a lot of times we just try to figure it out, especially as women. We're just like, maybe I'm being a little more vocal about what I like and what I don't like. But when you really are with this person that's your boyfriend or your girlfriend or whatever, you're just like, we'll just figure it out. I think that's a lot of times with my girlfriends and I, we're just like, girl, we'll try to help each other. And we both, it's the blind leading the blind, the dumb leading the dumb. <laughs> but I think now we are becoming more open to therapy. And so what are some things that you think would be red flags where it's like, hey, I might need to go ahead and start talking to, I might need to seek sex therapy. Would it be, I know you mentioned trauma, which I think obviously, you know, that may be a no brainer. Right. But are there things when you're like, I'm just really not pleased with my partner or I'm constantly having to tell this person what to do? Maybe we should see like, what are some of those red flags or that or that we should think of when it's like now's the time we should start to look at it? Yeah, I would just say like in your age range, like when you're saying 30 and over, right? Mm -hmm. So dating in your 20s, even being sexually active in your 20s and your desire in your 20s, it's kind of like peak season because, you know, you're just coming into yourself as a sexual being and sometimes anything feels good, right? And, <laughs> or you keep trying till you get to that place. But when you get to 30, you're kind of like, well, I just kind of need or want this to really happen. And so um, I think if you are finding yourself, um, and I'm especially going to think about like uh, females, folks who um, vagina owners, however, mm -hmm. um, define your audience, is that, you know, if you're not um, being pleased, like pleasure is huge. And I think that's the other thing with maturing is that orgasm doesn't always have to be the end result in your sexual intimacy. When oh. you're younger, everybody, like, I mean, but you can ejaculate and probably orgasm, not everybody, but I'm just thinking the yeah. majority population who experienced that, it's going to happen because your body and your brain are going to connect and you're going to move. When you started moving to your thirties, there are more things that are hindering your thoughts and your hormones can change and all of that. So it might be harder to reach orgasm. It's um, You might not have really sat down and thought about, like when I said assessment, like what do I really like? What really pleases me? What brings me pleasure? So of course, maybe I'm someone who orgasm is very pleasurable. However, mm -hmm. but I might also like real deep tissue massage or naked massages or just cuddling and spooning. So you got to really think about like, what you and your partner can do that brings you pleasure that doesn't always have to lead to orgasm. Because trust me, when you get older, they might be harder to get, or you you might not even have the time to even get to that point. I'm just say that, that's scary. Like, no. <laughs> but no, and then the other thing is when you when we're thinking about like why seeking, you said something like a no-brainer, but it's not. So mm. sometimes when people don't obtain pleasure even through orgasm or don't like I always use the touching because um, skin hunger and the desire to be touched and physical intimacy is huge, but some people just don't like it. 
And sometimes, mm. or the way that it's done by their partner. Mm -hmm. And they don't want to hurt, like, you know, someone saying, well, don't touch me there. You don't know how to say it, or you don't yeah. want to be hurtful. So sometimes it's trauma that you didn't realize you experienced. I had a colleague um, who, we were just having casual conversation, but they didn't realize until they were in their second marriage, had their second child, that something had happened in their childhood and it was impacting their intimacy with their partner, which I believe they actually divorced, but um, her parents disclosed to her because she knew something had happened. Mm -hmm. Sure, nobody said anything, and she kept asking her um, mom, and her mom finally told her she was actually sexually abused, but it happened at such a young age, and also we blocked things out. Yeah, she didn't realize that that was what was impacting the intimacy and the ability to connect with her partner's second marriage, right? Trying to figure it out, um, but that's what happened, and so it wasn't until she was she was forty, so she hit that forty mark and was like, "Oh my gosh, I need to go." see a therapist. I need to have conversations with my mom. So it's not always a no brainer because a lot of the trauma we experience is like pushed back in our brains. And we're just like, oh, I don't like to be hugged or don't nobody put their fingers in my vagina or don't lick mm -hmm. my ear. It's because somebody might have done something to you or you experienced or you saw something that it kind of turned you off and impacted your ability to connect in that way. Yeah. I want, It's interesting you mentioned that because I noticed for myself if I, like you said, in my twenties, I was, I could have casual sex. Like that was like, oh, especially in college, it was like, everyone was kind of doing it. And it was like, it was casual, right? Like we weren't always going together. Right. But I realized as I got older, casual sex isn't a thing for me anymore. I'm like, I'm real good on that. Cause I don't like random people touching me. And a lot of it is because I'm like, you're kind of a stranger, you know, and I can feel myself like tense up. And it's like, I just don't have that desire anymore. But like you said, I think it's a part of that, like you're growing up and, and things that work then, especially in your 20s, don't quite work now. And, you know, I think those those would be some of those things you look for and say, hey, maybe I do need to seek counsel or, or therapy to really work through those to, I guess, what to get to a better place, right? Yeah. And even pain. Um, I just have to drop this in there, especially talking to you as a, a young black woman. One of the things that um, people are seeking therapy about is pain and sex. And so, you know, kind of in our culture, you got to beat it, hit it, tap it, you know, and if it doesn't feel like that and he ain't doing it right. But ultimately, it should be wanted pain. Like there's a difference between like you're in you're having sex or a relationship with somebody, and you know, uh, intimacy with someone. And there's some wanted pain or pain that's like, it's not devastating or it doesn't make you not want to go back or, okay. that, or you don't have to have a conversation. But then there's like this pain that's like something might be wrong with my vagina, my uterus or the muscles or the tissue around that. Like it's super sensitive. We don't talk about that. So there's a huge gap for women achieving pleasure because of unwanted pain. And then the mm -hmm. gap for black woman, women, because we don't often speak about it because it's the expectation of it should hurt to be good, but it doesn't necessarily need to hurt to be good, if that makes sense. Or not, you know, that unwanted pain. And then if you're in your 30s, you, you might have experienced childbirth, which could also change your organs in the way you experience pain. Experience pain. If you're someone who's waited to get into a 
type of relationship you want to have sex with, there's something called, um, I think it's vaginismus. I hope I pronounced it right. Mm-hmm. But like trying to penetrate a vagina that hasn't been tre- penetrated, those muscles. And I'm not telling everybody to go, everybody got to do it. Abstinence is a choice. Yes. But you might need to seek a pelvic floor therapist to help you exercise those muscles before you jump right in and try to have sex because it could be unwanted pain. Oh, wow. So I, and that's so interesting because I, I do have some friends who have had kids and I didn't realize your, I mean, obviously having a kid is going to change your vagina. Oh, when the, <laughs> yeah. When the, they, the baby comes out. But so even that could be an indicator that seeking help or sex therapy or, you know, someone who understands, um, you know, the vagina or the body after childbirth, that could be another indicator like, hey, maybe we need to seek this type of specific therapy. Yeah. And and I guess here's a little side one, and this is probably more of a yes or no. All therapists would, all therapists may not have that ability to do sex therapy, right? Like, would you, you would need to ask them, right? Right. Okay. Because people specialize in a lot of different things and the training is very, um, specific, like you have licensed marriage family therapists, and then you mm-hmm. have licensed clinical social workers, and then you have psychologists and psychiatrists, and so everybody has their own training that's required. And then people have different specialties that they um, can like specialize in to really give you that. Like, so somebody could be identified as a sex therapist, but mm-hmm. primarily focus only on relationship and communication. Oh. Um, and then another one might actually have tools like, I mean, believe it or not, some people might be surprised, but like using porn as a tool to help you, you know, become aroused or engage with your partner. So everybody has their own different um, expertise. Oh, okay. See, this is why I have you on here because <laughs> I'm like, I'm thinking, oh yeah, like go online, sex therapist, but it's it's like a doctor, you know, there are doctors who deal with kids, who deal with older people. So, all right, y'all, if you get in sex therapist, make sure you know what, you, what you're looking for. That's why I plugged ASIC, because I'm like, go on up there, because that's where the ones that you know are going to specialize in sex therapy. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. So I have another quick question. And this was also one we used to get a lot, especially in undergrad, because I think at the time we thought we were asking the right questions like oh what if i like this and i'm like we were we weren't we were doing the same five moves and thought we were (laughs) (laughs) so here's a question and this you know this might be very interesting now how do you get how do you become comfortable in having conversations around different kinks so a lot of, I, like I said, I feel like now is, the t- especially with the day and age we're in where you have more access to, with the internet, you can find anything. You can find your kink. And um, one thing I always tell people, look, I don't yuck your yum. It may not be my thing, but I don't yuck your yum. Right. And one of the questions I had was, uh, well, it's kind of a two-parter. Number one, how do you become comfortable um, having that conversation around like really developing and getting into your kinks. Um, and what do you do if your partner is asking you for something that you're not comfortable being able to do? 
Yeah, this is where that communication and like I mentioned the assessment, but there are tools. I'll try to send you one um, if you want to like reference it when you post this. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of like this questionnaire that's kind of like, um, would do you mind fingers in your butt? Do you mind? And it's like, so let's say I'm just making up one. Yeah. I feel like that's one of them. But like, would you like a, fin a finger in your butt? There's like um, willing to give. So I mean, I would be the finger. Willing to receive, I would take the finger or both, right? Okay. Little just behaviors. So no, this isn't specific to fetish and kinks, but I'll get to that. But the assessment overall is kind of like there are some things and behaviors that one I might not have thought about because they're on this list. Two that I've definitely been thinking about. Now I can write them in, and we can go through it together and be like, well, I'm willing to give, receive, give and receive on this end. Or there's some things I forgot to um, include definitely out just like i'm not going to consider it i don't want to do it now when mm -hmm. it comes to fetishes you know it's you have to in your kinks you have to um really even know like some people don't know that what they're into is kind of kinky like i literally thought and i'm gonna say this so i was like oh i know i'm kinky Ugh. and then i started reading all the things i was like so i'm a little vanilla i'm a little <laughs> more vanilla than i thought <laughs> yes. my schooling has taught me that i'm more vanilla than chocolate chip but that's because um it, I was gauging it on based on what I thought was kinky, right? And mm. so the other thing is that we all have our own perception of like what is kink and what is not. When I'm teaching my class, I said, you know, um, being kinky or you know, it's like on a on a spectrum. So I always ask my classmates, have they or my classmates, my students, um, has anybody ever given or received a hickey? And some people say yes. And I was like, you know, did you get the hickey that had like the dark mark and it was up there for days? And I was like, to some degree, that's a level of understanding the spectrum. Somebody had to sit there and let you do that, which means you were willing to participate and let that hickey occur. Hopefully, you know, everything needs to be consensual. And then somebody really enjoyed doing it. Yeah. So it could be as... I, I don't want to say that's vanilla because somebody else might think that's wild and kinky, but it could be from that range all the way to someone sticking needles in you or, you know, there's blood draw in some kind of play. So you really have to talk about like what it is that I like. Think about why you like it. We shame a lot of things. There's yeah. a website called Fet Life. You can go in there and meet all the people that kind of have some of the same things you like to do. Not that you want to hook up with them, but yeah. you talk about those kinks those fetishes and um get into it and then the other thing about kink life from from my experience has been sometimes you don't know what you like you know you're like i would never yeah you're like well wait a minute now, i might because <laughs> <might. laughs> that was one of the things i i've realized it, it's it's still very taboo Mm -hmm. And I realized not only is it still kind of taboo, it's still taboo for black folks. Because I think oh. a lot of times we look at it like, like, let's just keep it real. We're like, mm, that's a freak shit. That's how white people stuff. You know, like, that's them. They do that. But I realized, that's why I started telling people when I hear it, even if for me, I'm like, internally like, oh my God. Like, <laughs> even though internally I'm freaked out, I don't try to do it externally because... I'm like, if that's your thing, then cool. And like you said, there's there are clubs and and listen. That's what I was gonna say. The wildest thing. Well, I don't say wild, but like 
again, going back to teaching at an HBCU, I cannot wait to bring my colleagues. That's why getting it out of my prevention box into a more open sexual box has been amazing. The black and brown folks who are into kink, who teach, who actually do therapy around kink to help people process is amazing. I shout out, I'm, I'm name dropping, Shani. Shout them out, name uh, drop them. My colleague, honestly, Nay, um, she does a lot of workshops around kink and color and really looking at, cause oh. there's some stuff, right? Like if you got to think about race play sometimes come up, or if you're thinking about flogging, Ooh, I don't know if y'all watch, um, P Valley, but yeah, I haven't watched season two yet. I'm, okay, I'm I'm All awful. I can say is there's a whip involved in whatever the last episode was, which I think it might've been eight. Yeah. And I want to, I'm going to talk about that later, but <laughs> But like, even with that, like most people are like, oh, our people were whipped and beat for years. But there, you know, that's one context. There's pleasure that's a like that. experience. And so um, my friend, um, honestly, Nay, when she talks about kink and color, she talks about like um, how to be more welcoming and affirming, especially even communities of color processing, perhaps some of that generational trauma or issues around racism and dismantling that. Yeah. And I remember, um, she was doing a flogging demonstration and I was like, okay, well, I, <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Like, yeah. you know, and it was, it was, it was so beautiful. It was actually beautiful to observe as well as like, is my interest piece? I think it might be. Mm. So there's something called shibari with like um, tying of ropes. I think it's Japanese, but like- I've never heard of that. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you a picture, but it's so beautiful. Like it's beautiful on the body and the rope technique is fantastic. So I say all that to say is that, yeah, a lot of people come in because we don't talk about it in our community. We mm -hmm. actually have um, on the East Coast uh, a black, um, male fraternity that is a leather club like you know and and that's the other oh thing. yeah to make spaces for themselves because of racism so like most of the um club leather clubs or some of the kink groups might be or are very white very white yeah folks just fetishize you because you have brown skin right and their own power struggles and dynamics i think the chocolate dom i remember i don't know can i say this you might edit this out but I remember Chocolate Dom came to campus. Yes, a few years ago for homecoming. Yeah, and I'm like, let that lady make her money, do her thing. She ain't bothering nobody. That oh, I, I listened to her on another podcast, and I was like, so wait, what is this website again? Because the girl <laughs> needs a little like, extra he cash. Wanted he wanted to be publicly humiliated. Yeah, he that she didn't care. I mean, like she wasn't like, oh, I'm gonna go out. Uh, my goal is to ruin homecoming, and I've I've seen some of the dialogues people that you and I both know were like, yeah. that's not the place, and that's not this. We don't get to tell people when, yeah. right? I listen because if she had been at the state fair, I don't, I don't think anybody would have cared, right? Like, so mm -hmm. I think we just have to let people be themselves, and then you know she's making her money and doing her thing. So yeah. it's I interesting. I agree. Actually, people who were upset, I was like, I think they should listen to her on the. Angela Yee's podcast she was on there I can't remember which episode but she's on there and she actually explains a little bit more about why and mm -hmm. when I heard that I was like oh girl then do you because it was really she was like she didn't actually want to bring him right she said I didn't want to she's like because that's homecoming like I wanted to enjoy it and all this other stuff but she was like he he specifically wanted like it was I think it was like specifically public humiliation and like in a black setting 
and it was like very specific and so that's why she did it and yeah it went viral and but to me I also didn't think it wasn't like she did it at like on the football field or like in front of the statue like in the uh what do you she was in the lot she was in Latham lot I saw her in the, in the library bowl. She wasn't in the library bowl. You know? Yeah, she didn't do any of that. She was in the lot. I saw her. I literally, we walked right past her. Of course, we were drunk. But we was like, well, that's different for homecoming. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you see? I was like, you see everything homecoming. It's like, damn. Yeah. What? Yeah. This is like, we just kept on. Like, I, I, I think we saw her. We didn't even think much of it to even put our cameras out to take a picture. We were that, like, nonchalant we right yeah right we were and i also felt like like i said i felt she did it in a space where it's like it's the it's like it's like the lot i don't care like it's not mm -hmm. like she did it anywhere that was very sacred ground she didn't do it in front of the statue or have him do something crazy like i was like if she didn't let them lot or something like that cool i don't i didn't i really didn't give a shit so i thought it was fine but her episode that she talks a little bit more in detail i was so intrigued but I felt that that's one thing that we do see a lot is like we have to create our own spaces in these these areas yeah. of kink. And even in that um, kind of the last part. So I, I had a, a friend who was like, you know, he he's dealing with someone who her kink is to be deaf peed on. Okay. And he is still trying to figure out how he can get around that specifically with an erection. And he's like, I just but he's not comfortable doing that because like you said, I think. For some people, it's more so like that's so disrespectful, right? But yet, that's this person's kink. So, how would you work with groups like that? Um, finding those type of of I was gonna say kinkologists. <laughs> I don't know if they call themselves kinkologists, but I don't think they do. Yeah. Would you work with somebody like that to figure out how to maneuver yeah. through that? Yeah, one of the things I wish I had the um uh the, so one it, a lot of sex therapists are considered well not all let me just say a lot yeah. of sex therapists will identify as kink aware meaning oh. so again getting deeper into your specialty right so yeah. I'm not a sex therapist but I don't deal with kink there's some people who that's solely what. Oh. Uh, you know, they're focused, not solely they're focused, but they're specializing it. So there's kink aware um, sexual health professionals. But then one of the biggest things about kink and what you brought up is that consent. So consent in the kink community is like so natural. We're trying yeah. in the non kink, you know, world outside. We're trying to help people understand that consent is everything. So if you have this one person who's like, I can't do it. It's something in me that doesn't allow it. Then there has to be a conversation between those two. So a, does that person want to work through what's holding them back so they can please their partner? Or mm -hmm. B, does the partner want to say, well, you know what, I'll, let's figure out another way for me to get this um, pleasure in a different way? Or, you know, is there a level of compromise in how to, you know, to do that? And a lot of times you see it happening um, on porn, like so easily, mm -hmm. but also yes. getting paid to do this. So even if they possibly have some level of um, uh, trepidation about it, they're still going to do it because they're working. So I think yes, with that as an example is communication, compromise, and seeking support. There will be somebody who could help them. Okay. Look, that's that not me, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I think that was one thing, even when I was on your website, which, of course, I'll, I'll, I'll put in the description was 
there's just so many levels to it. And I wouldn't have thought, because that was one thing, like, like I said, I think it's it, for me and a lot of my friends, it is the blind leading the blind. Um, I remember I, a guy I was kind of dating and mess talking to, um, I found this article about all these, it was 25, it was 25 sexual positions to maximize pleasure. I randomly found it and knowing me, I was like, let me see, you know, I'm, I'm out here. I've been in these streets. Like I know I've done mostly half of them. I was like, I don't even know what this is. This is crazy. <laughs> and I shared it with my partner. And we we tried a few ones that I was like, I've never done this. Let's try this. Let's try that. He was totally down. We tried them. And it was so great. I, I was like, this was probably one of the best sessions, you know, if you will, we've ever had. But I was like, I wanted to dive deeper into it. But I felt like, well, who would I ask? Like, if I haven't experienced this and I talked to some of my girlfriends and they haven't, it was just like, and I'm not a big porn person. I don't, like I said, I don't yuck anybody's young, but I just cannot get into porn because I have too many questions. And I look at porn very, <laughs> I look at porn so analytically. So I'll look and I'll be like, well, that doesn't seem fun. Well, I don't know if she's enjoying that. Well, it's like, well, this is interesting. Well, I don't like, and then I see something on the side, like, well, why they still got cigarettes lit? Now that's just dangerous. Like <laughs> I get so distracted. And so I was actually talking to my friend Roy, who's been on the show. And I was like, I wish there was a site where it's educational, like sexual positions. And in a way where it's like, have you ever heard of this position? This is what you do. And it's very educational because I felt like when you go on a porn site, you're going to get like 50 pop-ups and a bunch of stuff you ain't asked for. Like, I don't want to see Marge Simpson doing this. I just want to know what a pretzel is, like, you know, or what this well, cool term is. I think you've said a lot in what you said, and I'm going to say go to therapy again, because there <laughs> could be something about why you don't like to watch porn, right? There could yeah. be a reason, like, why am I analyzing this versus seeing a pleasure? On the flip side of that, a lot of the porn we are exposed to easily is unethical porn. So it does promote these questions of, like, that's not fair, that's going to hurt, or that's stupid, you know, like, that's not uh, realistic. I don't even want to use the word. Yeah. So you also have to think about, like, ways to find ethical porn. But then, mm -hmm. again, going back to the Black sexual community, sexual um, professionals community, there are folks like Jet Set Jasmine, King Noir. Um, um, okay. <laughs> uh, together, um uh uh marla stewart marla stewart is actually even having a conference next month called sex down south like it's for anybody and like you can learn different things so like it's more so now okay let's find people that um where representation matters yes and that they are knowledgeable yes and out to them so i don't think there's a site there probably is i just may not know it of like learning positions, but reading it versus I'm talking to Marla or I'm hearing Marla on um, Instagram talking about this said position or these positions or these ways to um, increase your pleasure is huge. Um, Dr. Jessica Riley, O'Reilly, um, also her Marla Stuley has written a book about pleasure. Um, wow. So it's, it's more people and I'm, that's why I said I'm grateful that to be exposed to a higher level of professionals. And now I get to also spout out black and brown people who kind of look like me or at least understand some of what I've gone through 
to have these conversations and be examples in our community. Yeah, and I one person I follow is Sex Doctor Pia, or and she's out of Chicago, and she has these. Yeah, she has these just the tip Tuesdays. Yep, and I just I love her. I've reached out to her, and you know we've talked on Instagram, but she's so good, and it's like she just always piques my interest because she'll say something, and I'm like, I've never thought of that, or I've never. It's it's just always piques my interest, and. I love that now we have the ability to talk about it and the ability to talk about it more openly because um, one thing uh, I I had another guest on and we were talking about the ridiculousness of uh, pillow princesses. And I was like, the male equivalent is like jackrabbits, which are just like, (laughs) it is the most bland, vanilla, dry toe sex where it's just like, that's all it is. It's just in and out. And- (laughs) I said, we're at an age now where I'm like, we want to enjoy ourselves. Like if I'm getting to the point where I'm vulnerable enough to take my clothes off and like stretch marks, scars and all, I want to at least enjoy myself and having communities and conferences and and more people of color who can help us, especially those of us who are starting to peak, if you will, um, it's really good. So I'm look, I'm gonna add a lot of those because trust me, people are gonna listen. They're gonna be like, wait, what did she say? Let me write that again. <laughs> well, I think you have just opposed like the growth and the development, right? So at your age right now, you have more things accessible to you, more acceptance than like I think about your experience and college and mine. Like I I just even Project Safe wasn't a thing. There mm-hmm. was a lot of um uh, sex shaming, like people mm. not able to explore their sexuality or being out with their sexuality or really be, before being out to even know exactly mm. maybe what their sexual identity is. Like we were kind of given, like most of us are given our identity. Like you're born yeah. a boy, you're heterosexual, and that's it. Or you're born a girl, you're heterosexual, that's it. So then when you start growing and developing and it, anything that veers off different from what you were assigned or prescribed, ascribed, subscribe, whatever, at birth, or not even at birth, but just in your family, social Mm -hmm. community, you get to college and you get to explore some of that. Exploration back in my day was a little risky and shame. Mm. You know, you weren't supported. In your day, it was a little more supported. Now, or in in the world in general, it's even more supported. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Having this conversation, think about, I mean, if we had podcasts back in my day, like yeah. it would have been like, ooh, you know, people thought Dr. Ruth was wild and free. She barely talked about anything. I mean, she was great, but yeah. I'm like, about how deep she really got. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's interesting you even say that because I remember, so being a part of Project Safe, like I said, when I say I walked around campus with a box of condoms or I always had a bag full of condoms, y'all, I am not joking. Like I always... Had you would have been slut shamed in my day. Like, yeah. why are you doing this? Oh, you're having all the sex with all the people. Right. <laughs> like, but it still was. There were. I would never forget a guy I talked to. He was. He didn't go to Central, so I remember he came to my room and literally saw the two boxes of Trojan condoms and my 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 little tote, and he was just like, "What the 
hell is going? I was like, okay, so look, I'm in this organization and I had to explain everything. I was like, look, I am the vice president. Like, this is what we do. But he didn't have that on his campus. So I had to explain it. But I still, I'll be honest. And, and you know, I think probably if we all were together now as adults and we talked about it, I know for me, I experienced times when people did think that about me. You know, people did think negative about me or thought, um, you know, especially being in the South, like, oh, well, she from up North. That's what they do. Like, they all out there and they risk, they, you know, they talk about sex and all that stuff. They, you know, they heathens. And it's like, no, I've just been in a safe space. And I also went to a high school where we talked about some of that stuff anyway. So, you know, I was a little more exposed than some people, you know, who may have been in like smaller towns in North Carolina, but we did experience, I know at least for me personally, we did experience some shame in, in, you know, guys assuming because I talk about it and talk about it freely that I was free about, you know, having sex with any damn body. And it was like, no, no, no. Like, I don't even like you. Like, just because I do Project Safe don't mean we out here fucking everybody. Or right. just because I have a bunch of condoms, like, this is for you, not us. <laughs> so... <laughs> And I think now, it, like you said, I think it's probably better. And, you know, the culture around it definitely got better each year. But it was still tough sometimes and and having to, you know, having guys who would hit on you and that's what they thought. And you had to be like, oh, no, 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 no. That's that's not what this is about. <laughs> like, that's it's not what the organization is about. It's not a group of sex, you know, sex crazed people who are like. We got the knowledge. Let's go out there and bone everybody. Like that was not it at all. So it it like I do agree. It's gotten better. We've gotten better at the conversations. And I think now at 30, I even love my guy friends, even this season, who have talked about wanting to get more into the pleasure of women or, or their partners and not be as selfish. And I'm like, thank you guys. Thank you. <laughs> your partners, your women, your whomevers, we thank you all. Uh, but this kind of gets into kind of my last question, which is, um, as we've gotten older, a lot of us are starting to under are starting to worry about our energy and our sexual peak. Ooh. When do, as far as like men and women, when are we hitting our sexual peak? Are we? Because I heard, and I know this may not be the most educated, but I heard men are starting to their sex drive and their energy starting to decrease in their thirties while women are increasing. Is there, is there any truth to age and energy and sexual appetite? So yes. And, and, and it really stems from like how you are as a sexual being overall. So like, think about someone who hasn't, um, in, in your age range who like, maybe they said they were going to wait until they found the exact partner or their partner to marriage, whatever. Um, so they still are sexual beings. So there are some ebbs and flows in that they just may not be acting on it. Right. Oh, okay. so, like the thing is when you, when you, when you onset your first, you know, sexual experience with someone else, because all of us, any of us, and I hope all of us have probably masturbated and experienced around that. And, like Dr. Uh, Elder said, 99% do, 1% lie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, even if you're asexual, even if you think about, so like there's there are folks who just like don't have that attraction for another um, person. There are parts of that um, identity that still, again, has to balance their desire. So in theory, we're all like thinking about as we move into puberty, our hormones are 
increasing and that sex drive is building, we all have testosterone, which is our connected to our libido. So mm-hmm. depending on when your onset was, can determine like your level of peak, right? So earlier onset typically results in earlier peak. And sometimes that's why, because most of the research says that like with males, when their testosterone develops and they're more likely to engage in sex prior, you know, than women, um, some women, not all. So like earlier, they, they, okay. It's kind of like becomes this thing and then women kind of catch up, but women also catch up because the production of testosterone and estrogen and even utilizing, like if if, uh, you don't have to say, but like some people I know, um, when they start taking like hormonal contraceptives, uh-huh. their libido changes. For some people, it dips immediately because their body's like, well, wait a minute, I'm trying not to get pregnant. I don't have time to be, you know, producing oh. this. And then others, depending on the hormone, uh, the um, yeah, the um, combination of whatever hormone they're in, it can actually increase. And even if you think about menstrual cycle, during that 28-day cycle, there's a peak in the um, a dip there as well. Okay, so I used to think it was me. There is something about my cycle. I always, I'm like, I could, if a doorknob or door handle brushes on me the wrong way, like I get so ridiculously like horny, like, oh my God, anybody, I'm about to make bad decisions. (laughs) I'm calling the wrong, I'm about to call the wrong nigga for real. Like, so So it can be about- that, yeah, all of that is compounded. And then, so you're talking about getting into your 30s, some folks moving into their 40s. All of us, our det- our testosterone is going to begin to decrease. Now, that's going to be the libido, wow. right? So that's the drive. But the functionality is still going to be there. Now, you may not be able to last as long. It may take you longer to reach said orgasm or specific orgasm. But you're still able to function. And you're still sexual all the way. Like if you think about 80 and 90 year olds, they may not be able to hold an erection for five minutes, 10 minutes, higher, whatever that uh-huh. they, whatever they used to, but they can still get the erection. So it's uh-huh. drive and function that um, over the course of time gets impacted because of illness, hormone levels, weight gain, like even weight gain, weight loss. Um, being physically active, shoot, drinking your water, minding your business. Yes. (laughs) When you hear people say drink water, drink the water. water. So when it comes to that, would that be something you would want to start to have a conversation with your partner or, you know, as far as like, Hey, this is my energy or this is the, these are the things I can do um, before sex. I may not be able to last or go because I felt I got to a point where I'm like having sex late at night is not happening. Like if it gets too late, I'm just too tired. But back then it was like it could be 3 a.m. if you hit me up or I hit you up and it's like we're going all night. The sun's coming up. Cool. But now I'm like, I'm tired. Like and- well, that's the thing about like some people really push back on planned sex. But if you already know you and your partner, so communicating mm-hmm. what what's the best time we're thinking about that, then you can have that where it's planned or at least semi-planned, right? Mm-hmm. And we often think that sex starts like when we cut the light off, right? Yeah. But you could be doing things throughout the day to get your partner thinking. So like, this is what I love about my work and how it's expanded is like understanding intimacy and sensuality. 
our five senses play a huge role. Like your brain is your biggest sex organ. So like think about oh okay like Valentine's Day. Victoria's Secret already know like lay really it's not a secret, but they think it is because they're like you're gonna smell right, you're gonna look right. Like they're doing mm -hmm. all the things, and so that's how you can also engage with your partner at different times of the day so that when it is a good time for y'all to have sex, it's not like you just say, is this a good time? And you're like, no, it's like there's some stimulation going on throughout. And that still may not be the good time even with that stimulation, but now you can think of something else to do to bring you pleasure um, mm. and enjoy one another without it being that. And then you still continue to communicate your needs to one another. Yeah. So that, that sounds like, um, I think what's really interesting about that is it, like you said, is the common denominator is that communication. And I think there's also a part of, I think the other half I'm getting from it is not only just communication, but really taking the time to learn yourself and, yes. and what you, what you're feeling and what's a little different or, and when you do have those questions to seek help and there are from, you've named a lot. There are those who, it seems like there's no question now that I have had or do have, I can't find the right person, specifically someone who looks like me, a black woman or a black person or a person of color, they're out there and available for these type of conversations and, yeah. and therapies and help. Yep. They are. And the, the the profession is growing because we're making space. We're you know um, kind of I don't. It's not like the glass ceiling, but it's just like we are disrupting these white spaces so that we can make way for younger, um, up and coming, up and rising professionals. Wow, I love that. I, I really do. And and Doctor Bass, I, the the very last question I ask every guest: What advice? Ooh. Would you give, because you talked a little bit about how you're stepping into this new um, area of your profession. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give yourself, maybe, you know, your 30-year-old self, even your 20-year-old self, even as you were learning and going through this? What advice would you give yourself now? My 20-year-old self, I would say... There is nothing wrong with you, and there's no such thing as being fast. Um, pleasure is your birthright. I probably would say that also to my 30-year-old self, um, but I think my 30-year-old self was more focused on that professional transition, and it's okay not to have all the answers. Like It's okay to figure some stuff out as you go along. I love that. Well, I appreciate you so much. How can everyone is going to want to know how they can learn more <laughs> and 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 know more about the everything that you've not only discussed, but even resources. How can people find you or follow you and support? Yeah, please reach out to me on Instagram at Dr. Tanya M. Bass. So it's T-A-N-Y-A M. Bass. Um, slide in my DMs if you're looking for folks to connect with. Um, I can you know, put you in connection with them. If you just want to ask me questions, you can do that as well. I love it. And I will, of course, put that in the description for the show. I will have all of that information out there because when I tell you, I'm going to let people know before they do the show, grab a pen and paper 
because we're going to have some names and some info drop that you are not going to want to miss. Of course, you all can continue to follow and support the show. And that is Dating Over 30 Sucks. Dating Over the Number 30 Sucks on Instagram. On Twitter is Dating Over the Number 30 S-U-X. Like I said, I am beyond so happy to have you on here. You have you have piqued my interest. Now I'm like, okay, I I have answers. I know where I can go for the answers, the questions that I don't think I even knew to ask. So <laughs> I really appreciate your time, Dr. Bass. I really, really do. And you just, you're always such a joy and, and bring so much to my life. I don't think I could ever thank you enough. There are literally not enough words. So thank Aww. you, thank you, thank you. Love you. Thanks. So everyone, y'all have a good one. Thanks for listening. New episodes, more episodes coming for season two, y'all. Bye.